You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 227, Rage Against the Machine, hosted by Dan Terry. Bro, that's a real person burning. I know. He's raging against the machine behind him. John Beatty. This is actually really what started Cobra Kai. And Joseph Wren. Dude doesn't change. (laughs) Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you're finally ready to take the power back... Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John. We're coming to you live from the future or the past or whenever the hell we recorded this episode. Guys, we're talking about Rage Against the Machine tonight. Finally. I've never seen so many white people off time rhythm. Yeah, I mean, you got to always know your enemy. I mean, 100%. This is... uh, It's Jeff, right? This is a band. This is a band, man. Uh, this is one of the easiest listens I've ever done for a, uh, for a podcast episode. You're welcome. Uh, three in one cover record. You're out. I mean, uh, and it's all, uh, it's all relatively enjoyable despite the, the just horrible inspiration that some of the lyrical content was inspired by. Um, I almost said horrible lyrics. I don't think that they have horrible lyrics by any stretch. Um, as a matter of fact, if there's a band that you might want to take some notes on how to write effective lyrics, Rage Against the Machine might be one of the bands that you want to take notes from. Rage is that band that confuses me on the definition of the word dated. Because sometimes I listen to Rage Against the Machine and it doesn't sound dated. It is extremely dated, but it's still relevant. It's still popular. It's not like listening to Nirvana where it sounds like 1991 or 1994. When you listen to Rage, it just sounds like Rage. Maybe a good portion of that is Tom Morello. Because, you know, listening to Audio Slave, it just sounds like Audio Slave. But the riffs, dude, the fucking beats, the total disregard for your instrument. And Tom Morello is going to be the DJ, not just the guitarist. So he develops ways to create sounds that now everyone rips off when they record insert name of new metal track. Because you can do scratchy things on your guitar, guys. It's sweet. And I love it. And I'm annoyed. That dude has had a fucking career and hasn't really changed. I think it's really interesting. I've got a, I've got a fun Tom Morello story that doesn't involve him at all in real life. Uh, but I was playing Guitar Hero 2 uh, on the PlayStation 2, and they will have you randomly uh, face off against a popular guitarist, right? And the whole thing is to, like, slip them. It's like basketball. You have to, like, do whatever you can to get him to mess up. And I'm kind of like, can Tom Morello really mess up? Uh, in the sense that like he can't just make it work <laughs> like whatever the whatever the random sound that was made uh, during that guitar battle that he couldn't have just made that work and played it off like it wasn't a mistake. Uh, and I just I felt that that was very unrealistic uh, makers of Guitar Hero 2. Uh, I just wanted to throw it out there that, you know, maybe maybe next time don't don't uh, don't put me up against a relatively improvisational guitar player. <laughs> like Seriously, just get Frank Zapp out here. Let's let's do it. Let's get catching Beefheart out here. Fuck yeah. Let me get my trout mask and we will fucking go. I don't have a trout mask. I have a replica, though. Well, before Dan tries to sell me some fake merchandise, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. 
We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about Five Star Reviews. What's up, all of you people out there in podcast land? Did you know that you can review our podcast? If you didn't know that, I'm letting you know. So review our podcast, and we'll read it on the show. Good, bad, or indifferent. John Beatty, are you ready to rage? Always. So, John. I'm ready. I, I primal rage. Tell me about Rage Against the Machine. I mean, I don't really know what to fucking say that people don't already know about the band. There's riffs, there's grooves, there's political messages behind them. They are probably one of the most important bands that we still need to listen to because the messages contained within are still relevant. I believe the phrase is, if you do not learn your history, you're doomed to repeat it. That's why Rage is still an important band with a message that probably will be timeless because of that. I think Rage captures human nature in a way that other bands don't capture (laughs) human nature. Um, So, yeah, I think in that sense, their lyrics will always be relevant as long as there are human beings uh, listening to the music. Uh, It's relatable on a level that I think a lot of people are not aware of. And it is interesting seeing people of certain political, uh, you know, persuasions championing champion champion championing championing whatever uh <laughs> promoting rage against the machine even though their lyrics seem to contradict whatever that person's particular platform is and i think that happens on 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 multiple sides of the uh political spectrum all the time the type of people that are into rage against the machine it's just laughable to me sometimes when i'm like did you even listen to what the songs are about um but yeah, like, and I think I think that's that's kind of the most interesting thing about this band is that like, when you when you look at everything that they stand for, you would think that they would be immediately polarizing, but for whatever reason, they wrote music that was compelling enough for people in the '90s to where it wasn't polarizing. They either chose to ignore the lyrics entirely, which let's be honest, a lot of people do, um, or uh, they fully embraced it and they found their own meaning in the lyrics. And so the band was able to propel themselves into superstardom. <laughs> in that way uh, and I always found that really really interesting because uh, society doesn't really like extremism nope. uh, it's usually downplayed so uh, so a case like Rage Against the Machine is actually really unique uh, in my opinion that, that they are as popular as they are uh, while having very 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 polarizing lyrics and ideas and I guess that's just a testament to the actual music uh, that they played that it, that it was appealing to people uh so much that maybe even if they didn't enjoy the lyrics, maybe they just didn't care. I don't know when I first heard Rage Against the Machine, but I know it was after 1992. The consistency of what this band puts on tape is nearly unmatched. Yes, there are cosmetic small differences between the records where if you're paying attention, you know which songs came off of Evil Empire. You know which songs came off the Battle of Los Angeles. But you've heard all of these songs, and you like them. Even the cover songs. You convinced yourself that those were Rage songs, and nobody cared. It all sounds great. It all works together. The opportunities I've had to see the band live, the DVDs I've watched, the reunion shows that were streamed online, it's like the band never misstepped. So much so that they found their platform and they just stayed there. Why does this band get to do the same damn thing? And everybody loves it. But if somebody else does the same damn thing, they're criticized. 
Does Rage get away with it because they're unique sounding? They're the only band that sounds like this? Um, I don't think that's necessarily it because I think, well, actually, let, let's get into it, I think is the best way to start this. Go for it, John. 1992, Rage Against the Machine. So while I was basically coming into the tail end of this this record when it first came out, uh, Living Back East, um, Evil Empire was the first record. That was the first new record that I heard when it came out. But listening to this record and having, obviously, it been, been around for, what, we're almost uh, 90, 2000, 2000, like we're almost, what, 30 years uh, with this record at this point? Yeah. Um, it's a thing where... And, and this can't be understated enough, I think, for this record especially. You know, we, we were talking about why is this record, why is this band timeless? So I think that something that makes this record stand out amongst the rest of the records is anyone who knows about Sound City Studios um, and about, you know, just the great musicians and the great, you know, the Neve console and the, the great drum tracking room and all that kind of stuff. If you saw the documentary on that studio, there's footage of Rage basically performing this record live in the room with a crowd of friends. And I think that that's really what permeates into this record is that feeling like you're catching a band performing live. It just so happens that they're in one of the best sounding studios ever for a live recording like on tape and so forth. The riffs are killer. I mean, obviously you have Bomb Track, you have Killing in the Name of, Take the Power Back. There's fucking great lyrics. Uh, Settle for Nothing, Bullet in the Head, Know Your Enemy. I mean, the raw aggression, the kind of punk rock aggression of freedom. I mean, if you can't feel the end of that song, you know, I, check your fucking pulse. <laughs> this is a record that from start to finish feels important, feels like it needs to happen and is larger than the combination of the four musicians creating the music. And I think beyond that, as you have spent, or we have spent 30 some odd years with this record almost, the thing that's interesting about it as I listen to it is the musicianship. It's not just a jam band. It's not a metal band. They're not a funk band. They are all those things. And I think for a lot of people who write off Tom Morello as being a gimmicky guitar player, listen to a lot of the stuff on here. And there's going to be some shit on the covers record that I'll, I'll point out as well. But, j sorry. But Tom Morello is one of those players, and as are all of these guys in the band, phenomenal musicians who are able to play a multitude of different genres, a multitude of different genres, and pull it off with a style and ease that I think so many have tried to capture since this, and will never be able to duplicate. Well, uh, I I don't have anything uh, that great uh, about it. Uh, <laughs> I like this record quite a bit. I have to admit that when, <laughs> when, when Rage Against the Machine, uh, when Rage Against the Machine was introduced to me, uh, I, I haven't been listening to the band for 30 years like uh, like everyone else has. Uh, and so much like Iron Maiden, uh, Rage Against the Machine was a band that I kind of had this idea was like far more brutal uh, or in <laughs> hardcore than they than they actually ended up being. Uh, so it took me it took me a number of years to get it, you know. Um, just again, because of the brutality of their artwork and the um, the, the 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 air of like politicalness to, to their lyrics and um, and all of that, I didn't know that like I was going to be hearing like a '90s like rap rock sort of thing, and that's that that's really really compartmentalizing it uh, because it is much more than just rap rock, you know, from the '90s. Um, but I think I think um, Zach De La Rocha's vocals are so. What's, I'm trying to trying to think of the right word to put it. Um, 
I don't even want to say desperate sounding, but just so in the moment. And then with so much like actual fire behind behind his behind his voice and what he's saying, you can tell he's you can tell that he's into these songs. Um, you can tell that he means w- what he's saying. And um, you know, I don't know. I, I just I, I love I love the the way the songs flow. My favorite song on the entire record is "Know Your Enemy," um, which is kind of one of the most different. Uh, it actually sounds quite different than everything else on the record. And uh, and I think that's a huge uh, that that's a huge benefit uh, to this record. I and like I, I've never been like the biggest fan of Tom Morello's guitar playing, um, which we we kind of talked about on our Limp Biscuit episode. For some reason, we got on that subject, and uh, I thought I thought everybody in the room was going to like come after me. Um, but I've never been a huge fan of his guitar playing in the sense that like I feel like it's a little bit drier than what I was expecting. But I also understand that that's the appeal for a lot of people is kind of that dry, kind of more blunt uh, tone. And then he contrasts that really, really, really well, especially on Know Your Enemy uh, with a lot of like really cool sounding like guitar effects and, and things like that. And so um, I definitely wouldn't use the word gimmicky. Um, he's not my favorite guitar player by any stretch of the imagination, but I um, I totally get it. I totally get why people love it because uh, it definitely does sound really radical in places. Radical man, <laughs> and, um, and 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 kind of trippy too uh, as as we go as we go on. Uh, but as far as like the uh, the harder songs, uh, Joe says it doesn't sound dated. To me, this record sounds very dated. Um, and I, and I had to get used to that. I had to put myself into kind of the nine, early nineties mindset to really appreciate this record for what it is. And, uh, believe it or not, I know this is an all time classic to a lot of people. This is my least favorite rage against the machine album. Uh, just because I think that it's a little bit too long and I think that it, it, it goes, uh, it, it gets a little dry in a few places, a little bit too repetitive. Uh, probably my biggest complaint about rage is that I feel like sometimes there's a little bit too much repetition, uh, in the vocal hooks. Um, but at the same time, uh, I can't deny that the record is a classic and I understand why people love it and think it's such a classic. Uh, it's just not, doesn't necessarily match up for me. Uh, not, 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 not nearly as much as evil empire does. This is the record. Everybody cites as their favorite for me. I've spent the least amount of time with evil empire mathematically looking at the records that I listen to. It's either going to be self-titled or it's going to be the battle of Los Angeles. I'm told that I'm wrong and I don't think it matters. I think when you listen to rage, you're listening to all of it. I think there's a certain quality to rage against the machine where you're not sitting down to listen to one record in particular because it has freedom on it today. Although that might be the reason you put in the first record when you get to evil empire, We're talking about People of the Sun. We're talking about Bulls on Parade, Year of the Boomerang. John, settle an argument, please. Good. The most offended I've ever made a Rage Against the Machine fan was when I suggested that Zachary De La Roche's vocals are hip-hop. I was told he's a poet. He's a spoken word guru. Rage Against the Machine is basically fucking West Coast hip-hop. Just um, not exactly what that is. That was one of their roots, one of their goals. But Zachary De La Roche is just a different kind of hip hop, dude. It's awesome. I think you can't listen to, and I mean, this is kind of the funny thing. Like, I, so 
it's almost befitting that I'm kind of on the show now when you're talking about this band and, you know, we've done Candiria and, you know, we've done some other episodes that kind of have more hip hop influences and it's not discrediting, you know, Jeff or Buddy or, you know, the other people they've, or even you two, but, you know, where I've constantly thrown out shit in that realm to kind of try to get people to expand beyond just, you know, we listen to metal. So we're going to talk about a metal record as our album of the week. It's like, no, like try to expand because you listen to, you know, like a Chino and he's influenced by you know, KRS-One. He's influenced by Cool Keith. He's influenced by a lot of things outside of, you know, the genre he's in, you know, even like the Cars and Tears for Fears and all these other bands. And I think that's something that, you know, at least, and I'm sure Dan can say this too, you know, having interviewed a lot of people in, you know, for, you know, Discuss Metal, that a lot of times when you talk to these dudes that are in some of these influential bands and so forth, they're like, I don't listen to the shit that I'm fucking in. I listen to hip hop. I listen to so many other things to get out of what I do. And I pull influences that maybe you're not aware of that I'm bringing in. So, you know, you might look at a Jacoby Shaddix and, you know, he's, you know, on that first couple of Papa Roach records, the things he's kind of doing are more hip hop influenced. And, you know, they kind of got a little bit of a Absolutely. reggae to him and so forth. And I think that's what makes bands really interesting is when they're able to pull influences outside of what they're doing. And I feel like for me, especially on, I mean, they did it on the last record, but this record is really the one where it's, it's about a groove. It's about a feeling. And it's one of those where you listen to this and you, you can't help but evoke strong Chuck D public enemy kind of vibes. You can't not feel uh, the thing of like, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the message. Uh, God, who the fuck sings the message? I got to look that up before I, I fucking forget. It's just going to piss me off. My master flash. I don't need to look it up. You know, it evokes strong messages of like Grandmaster Flash, you know, with the message and, and you know, songs about the urban experience and growing up in, in poor environments and people being abused and, you know, all those kind of things. And Zach's doing that. You know, you listen to people of the song, you listen to Vietnam, Vietnam, um, Revolver, you listen to like so many of these songs and it's basically giving a voice to those who don't have it. And he's delivering it in a vibe that maybe most people who are listening to this music have never heard lyrics presented this way, let alone lyrics of substance. And it's one of those that as a music fan, especially of hip hop and metal and hardcore and all these kind of things, it's what makes it interesting because it's it doesn't sound like what I'm used to hearing. So in that regard, I want to I want to dive more into it. I want to understand where these lyrics are coming from. I want to know the, the influences this band has had and find them. Because this music, as as the four people that make up this band, nothing like this has ever been. And man, what a motherfucker of a record this is. This was the first record I heard. And I remember my friend, my best friend, who, rest in peace, no longer is with me, put this fucking record on. People in the Sun comes on, and that fucking drum beat. And I was like, what the fuck? And then Bulls on Parade comes right after it. And I was like... I thought Green Day was cool, but this is this is way better. <laughs> this is this is literally the soundtrack to my mind being blown and my mind being opened to something way bigger than me. I think that this was I, I don't know. I what I liked about Evil Empire over self-titled Rage is I just feel like they went harder on this one. Um it was Absolutely. it was a much more much more aggressive uh sort of sort of attitude. It kind of more lived up to the name Rage Against the Machine for me. Um, I, I love the cover artwork, Evil Empire, you know, with the kid and the like, almost like the superhero sort of garb. Um, it, it all works really, really well. Um, I like Tom's guitar playing on this record more. Uh, it's a little bit more trippy. 
Um, Zach De La Rocha sounds basically identical to how he did on Rage Against the Machine. Uh, which Dude is, doesn't change. Which is fine. <laughs> he he was never a problem that I had, you know. Um, and yeah, so I, like I really really enjoy this one. I, I love the amount of lyrics that are cr- that are crammed into literally every single second uh, of these songs. But yeah, People of the Sun and Bulls on Parade being sequenced the way they are is literally it, it delivers a message to you that this record is not going to let up on you this is it's not going to be a it's not going to be an enjoyable experience for you necessarily um it, it's it they're they're they these guys are literally shoving their message down your throat and for almost the first time i can i've ever seen in music history everybody's like yes more please um and this I think what I like about this record too is that it's it's modernized, at least modernized for 1996, where it's starting to blend in with a, a little bit more with this like new metal stuff that's coming out. It's not it's not that it's not like this is not Limp Biscuit, you know, like or, or that sort of sort of thing. But you can definitely see the the keys to the kingdom, I guess, so to speak, where. New metal bands were like, well, we're just going to borrow some of this sound, but we're going to use it to talk about our feelings. Uh, whereas Rage Against the Machine is talking about their feelings on, you know, the depravity that is, you know, the human race. Um, and I think that, like, this record, in my opinion, just has better songs. Um, Bulls on Parade being one of my favorites ever. Um, Snake Charmer, I like. Um, Roll Right, You're the Boomerang is, is one of the best album closers um, I, I've heard. Uh, this record's also, as far as you know, I complained about the first record being too long. Uh, this record is just right for me. Coming in at like maybe the 45 minute mark, uh, it's just the right amount. Yeah, it's just, it's perfect. If, I, if I'm Goldilocks in your house, home invading you and eating your food, uh, this is this is the dish that's just right for me. Chef's kiss. Mwah. I like that we got that out of the way. Rage Against the Machine is not a new metal band. I'll just say it. But I can see where the seed of hip hop made its way into new metal through Rage Against the Machine for most people. Most people that are trying to create heavier music in the mid 90s that would go on to be your new metal classics, they're taking those grunge, trippy, atmospheric influences, they're taking the early corn records, and they're playing at a lower tuning, they're focusing on the rhythm. There's the Sepultura influence, obviously. All of that thrown together. And then you have Rage Against the Machine, who, if you never listen to hip-hop in your life, you're going to spend more time listening to Rage Against the Machine because it sounds okay, because it's not creating sounds that are artificial, if that makes any sense. I think it makes I mean, I think it makes total sense. Even to the point where, you know, uh, they felt the need to apologize to everybody at an award ceremony. Uh, apologize for Limp Biscuit. They're like, we take it, we take it, you know, this is our fault. We did this to you, uh, which is objectively completely untrue. Uh, but it is really, really, really funny um, that they were, they were so self-aware. But I think that like Evil Empire is special because it set kind of a tone for angry music in the 90s. Rage Against the Machine did that too, obviously before that. Um, but that you could have this, this louder, angrier rock music as a mainstream success is something that you could actually hear from on the radio. Cause I almost feel like if they weren't doing what they were doing, uh, we, the, a lot of the bands that got more popular in the mid nineties, uh, wouldn't have been able to get the footing that they needed for mainstream success without rage against the machine. And I think that's really, I think evil empire cements that 
I think if they had only put out the the debut record and that had been it, it would have just been this kind of weird thing that happened. <laughs> you know, it would have moved on. Would people would have moved on from it? And I think that like Evil Empire is like, no, we're not going anywhere. And this is this is the way music. This is the way aggressive music is going to sound for a while. Um, and then they absolutely follow that. They they absolutely continue the intensity with the Battle of Los Angeles, which is. Ugh. These guys just don't have any bad records. I mean, I'm trying really, really hard to do the whole discuss Metal Dan thing right now and like find something to complain about. Um, but the best I can come up with is some of the things that they do are not my preference, but th- that doesn't make them not good. 1999. You ever uh, you ever lay down in bed and you're like, oh man, it's like super cold in here. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and turn on this electric blanket right now, and then you know, ten minutes later, it's sleep now in the fire because it's like. Uh, it's just too much. Uh, this this record probably has the most singles uh, off of a Rage Against the Machine album. This is where they have completely mastered their craft um, and are now able to like 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 at some point they've caught on to like okay, people really 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 like the way our band sounds. This is their most mainstream sounding record, even though I know they they've been kind of a mainstream success for a while here. But uh, this is this is where you can actually tell that they're fishing for singles, but they're doing it in their own way. Uh, the songs go harder. The record is a little bit on the longer side again. Maybe it's the same as Evil Empire, but it's, it's the exact longer. same. It's actually a minute less. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this one does it. Does it seem to anybody else that they like really picked up the pace on this one? Yeah. Well, actually, I think part of that is track listing that makes it feel like it goes a little bit quicker. Yeah. Because like. I feel like whereas before, um, uh, shit, what is it? Uh, like Born of a Broken Man and, you know, some of those songs that are kind of slower would have been like at the end of the records before. They're kind of right in the mix and then kind of get brought right back up with uh, more faster paced songs. So yeah. it, it balances a little bit better, I think, on this record. I think that they've really picked up the pace here. Um, Zach, uh, Zachary Delaroche's vocals sound a lot angrier this time around. I feel like he sounded kind of the same on the first two records. This one, he's got even a little bit more fire behind it. Like, I don't know if they were like pranking him real bad when he was trying to do his vocal takes or something, but like he sounds sounds adequately pissed off uh, for 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 all of this. Well, this is what, the Bush administration at this point? It yeah. hadn't quite started. Uh, I think it, there. Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember. I wasn't really big in politics as much as I like this band, but I, I do remember <laughs> I think in the Testify video and some of the other ones, I feel like there was uh, allusions to the Bush being in office and so forth. But no, I think for me, like, you know, like Dan kind of already said, I, I think this has obviously got some more of the, the bigger, quote unquote, bigger radio success singles off of this, you know, Testify, Gorilla Radio. Um, I know Calm Like a Bomb, I don't think technically was a single. Um, Sleep Now in the Fire definitely was. Um, I think there's some more interesting songs. Like I said, Born of a Broken Man uh, is probably one of my favorite songs on the record, just because it's a little bit different than I think what we've kind of gotten before. Um, I also remember right around this time, too, and it was kind of weird because when the Matrix soundtrack, the original Matrix soundtrack came out, I remember obviously Rage being on there, but it was a song from the first record, which I think at that point was like seven or eight years old. So it was really weird to have a new album, especially with so much new music and from, you know, Manson and, and so forth on it, where it's like, oh, here's a Rage Against the Machine song. Oh, wait, it's a song from like almost a decade ago, which, you know, I think kind of, again, speaks back to the music's going to be timeless. We're talking about a movie that's set in the future 
but they're using a song from almost a decade before, but it still sounds relevant to the theme of The Matrix and what's going on. And isn't that fucking great about Rage? It all goes together. In the end, you can sit down and listen to all of it or a piece of it, and you're getting an equally great experience. Absolutely. You can mix these songs up, throw them in a pile, and press play, and you're still going to have a good experience. This album is amazing. If you want to learn how to play rock guitar, listen to the Battle of Los Angeles and just figure out what Tom is doing. (laughs) Now go write a rock record. I think the thing that's interesting about this record versus Evil Empire for me, Evil Empire felt more like a studio output where it was, you know, I'm tracking my parts. We're trying to make this sound as big as possible. And I'm not saying Rage has ever felt small. Um, I think that's the one thing about him. The four dudes somehow put out an output bigger than most other bands that aren't named Gojira. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it's one of those things where this has that same live in the room kind of feel that I think was missing from Evil Empire that was on the first record. So I do know a lot of people seemingly don't like this record as much, as which is weird because it has some of the biggest singles. So it, it's a very weird anomaly where I think the true Rage Against Machine fans like the first two records the most, and this is the quote-unquote sellout record. Um, but I think this is more in line with the first record um, as far as just a, a vibe that you get when you listen to it. Like it, It's hard to, to not play this one all the way through. Um, and not feel like you're literally listening to almost a live record of sorts at times. I think you're right, and that's why most people point to Evil Empire as their favorite. If they want to listen to Rage Against the Machine, they're going to put that album on. But those same people will listen to Rage Against the Machine when it's on the radio. And trust me, it's all been on the radio. All three records up to this point are on the radio at the same time, and nobody is complaining and most people probably aren't even noticing. I remember them playing uh, t- uh, playing Testify live at the VMAs oh, in yeah. 2000. I actually watched that live. And the, at the end, the bass player just whip, takes his bass off and starts destroying all the stage equipment with it. Um, that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that, uh, you know, on, on TV. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, like that right there, it, probably the reason I got into hardcore, right? Um, just, just, just seeing that for the first time, I was like, that is the most incredible thing that I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I don't know if it was staged or not. It certainly didn't look like it was. Um, but that, that was, that was kind of like something that really built up my wondering of like, Oh, what is this band rage against the machine? Like all about. And, uh, then I just kind of forgot about them for <laughs> a long time. And I had to be reintroduced later on. But I, I very much remember being a kid watching that. Hard Imagine, to it was 21 years ago. What's funny is this is also right around the same time someone had shown me Shape of Punk to Come by Refused. You know, we're, oh, a year, yeah, yeah. we're a year away from that having been out. And I was like, oh, my God, these two bands need to tour together. Like, what a fucking great show that would be. Fuck yeah, yeah. dude. And then no someone doubt. was like, oh, Refuse broke up like a year ago. And I was like, oh. And then now here we are, and Rage Against the Machine breaks up and puts out a covers record. Right. So I was like, well, I guess that's never happening. We're going to talk about Renegades a little bit? I think we I should. Think we can. Yeah. I mean, this has been a rather short discography, but I also think speaks to, I mean, you know, you, the question you kind of asked me earlier about, um, and actually something I had said. So you asked me about like, you know, is this kind of hip hop influenced or where does it kind of fit? Um, 
lyrically and you know the the cadence of of zach's uh delivery and what's interesting to me actually it's not interesting to me but what i think is probably more interesting to a lot of people was the diversity of this covers record there is a lot of hip-hop present on here pistol grip pump kick out the jams i mean that's more of an mc5 fucking thing pistol grip pump dude hell yes but <laughs> fucking great song you know but then you have songs like beautiful world which i think is a great cover and kind of sounds more like the song i was talking about on on a uh, battle for los angeles with um uh god i love how i completely forget <laughs> A song title I talked about like two seconds ago. Um, and I like how iTunes is being stupid. Well, let me fucking play it. The message. Uh, born, no, born of a broken man. Um, I think the song like the, the Ghost of Tom Joad really kind of echoes where the foundation of a song like Born, like a, born of a Broken Man kind of comes from. Granted, it's probably not a song or an artist you would assume is an influence to Rage Against Machine. But I think that's the brilliance of Rage Against Machine is they pull from everything. They pull from so many different styles. I mean, I think what's funny is like even how I could just kill a man. You know, there's a live version of that on this fucking record. If you had like the the deluxe version, like I did. You know, by the way, which uh, which version of the cover did everyone buy? I had the red and green. Red and blue. I didn't buy it. Oh well, okay. I'm not. Um, fair enough. But it, it's one of those where I I was really intrigued by the covers that they put on this record, and I think really showcases just how diverse and how interesting this band really is, while also picking songs that like their own music have a message that is still relevant um all these years later i mean maybe not necessarily a song like i'm housing but (laughs) that's just a fun song (laughs) right i think it's funny that most people think that these songs are rage against the machine songs sound like it and going back to what i said on the previous album you've heard these on the radio and you did not care i think the two that stand out the most are renegades of funk and how i could just kill a man it's all good on here. The Ghost of Tom Joad is still one of the biggest performances I've seen them do live. The room comes down, it gets real fucking quiet, and Zachary starts whispering at you like everyone is on something. And then they move on to Come Like a Bomb, so fuck yeah, let's go. I don't think I've ever seen them do Pistol Grip Pump live, but I really wish they would. How I Can Just Kill a Man is my favorite off of it. I mean, I like the original version a lot, too. So it's it's it's, it's cool hearing kind of a, a more rocked up version of it. Discuss Metal Dan, Closet Cypress Hill fan. I mean, I wouldn't yeah, say, how, I mean, I wouldn't how say can you not be Like Cypress Hill, I think, really fits into the same lane that uh, Rage always has. Like they have live yeah. instrumentation. They are a band. But I mean, look at the fact that like I think I talked about it on another episode, like you have rock superstar, rap superstar, like they cater to both demographics and they did the same song two different ways and they sound fucking great. Yep. Like either one is Judgment Judgment Night soundtrack. There's a Patreon you guys should do if you haven't already. Judgment Night soundtrack. I've thought about it. I've got it. Actually, that'd be a great crossover for Roach Coach and and this show. They did. uh, They've done it on their show. Yeah, already. they made fun of it, but whatever. No, I don't think so. Some of it they did. I mean, some of it you should make fun of. Uh, but I think overall it's enjoyable. Next month on Patreon, we talk about Free Jack soundtrack. There you go. Let's do it. <laughs> Who remembers that movie? I wish I didn't. <laughs> Final thoughts okay. on Rage Against the Machine. Dan. I mean, Rage Against the Machine is a band that has been shoved down my throat my entire life. And normally my reaction is um, is rejection. Uh, Rage Against the Machine is one of those bands that I feel like kind of lived up to the hype, um, whereas most bands don't. Um, I definitely had to change my perception a little bit in order to kind of get on that hype train. But since I've been on it, I mean, I, I enjoyed the band. 
for what they are. And one thing that I think is really, really cool about Rage Against the Machine is the brevity of their discography. Um, not because it's easy for me to listen to their records quickly and do an episode. Um, I didn't have to listen to Come on. Did any of us actually have to listen to these records to do this episode, like, again, specifically for the show? Yes. I don't think we did. I did, um, because I, I had did. to do it. I didn't. But I, I think that, like, with a band like Rage Against the Machine, you run the risk of... Imagine if they had been putting all putting records out for the past 21 years. We would be, we would be what, six albums deep? Talking about how, like, I don't know, man, those first three were so good. And then what happened? You think See, we, do you think we would have gotten to that point? No, because I look at a band like Run the Jewels, and I see the stuff that Zach's been doing with them. Yeah. Uh, when I went to Sonic Temple a couple of years ago, and Tom did a set of solo of uh, playing Audio Slave, and it's just literally him playing guitar. I don't remember. I don't recall there being a band. I just remember him literally playing guitar. Yeah. And he played Rage stuff, and people sang like a whole like everyone at the fucking festival came over to watch him play. And, you know, he played Bomb Track. He played Killing in the Name of and like everyone fucking sang all the parts. It's like those songs are such a fabric of people from I'll say 50 to like probably 10 because their parents probably just like you, Dan, pushed it down their throats. Yeah, <laughs> that it's it's one of those like where you see it, even though it's not the full band, it you still are like, fuck, man, this band is still fucking huge. And if you doubted that. Look at how fast those tickets sold out for the Rage Against the Machine reunion that was going to happen last year. Right. But more what I'm getting at is that, like, if they had continued to release new music. No, I think politically. For the past 21 years, I almost think that the, I, I don't personally believe that this sound would age. Would have. No, no, not that. I think they I think they would have kept updating with the times because they did. They did update with the times, at least from a production standpoint. Hmm. Um, but I think that if we got eight to ten albums deep, I think that eventually what you'd run into is I don't necessarily know if this sound is sustainable. I don't know if that I don't know if this sound is sustainable over 30 years. So um, of, of, of constant material. Whereas I think the reason these records have legendary status is that, hey, here's this band that was around for nine years and they put out three really, really, really great classic records. And I think that there's sort of a almost spiritual experience with that that I think people resonate with. Whereas I think if this band was, you know, what had been active from 2000 to now, uh, I think that there would have been a little bit of like a, okay, we got another Rage Against the Machine album. And that's not like to slam the band. I, I'm saying it like that it's it's more beneficial for them to reunite every now and again and do some tours and, you know, and then give the people what they want. Um, I think that this is, I think that they had a really, really good sense of knowing when it was time to move on. The thing I wonder now is, will we have the same thing that happened to Refused? Where if they get back together, if they, well, not if they get back together, if they get back together to record new music, is that is it going to be panned because it's not one of these three records? Absolutely. I think that we live in a much more musically cynical time than we used to. Um, you know, look at Tool. I bet everybody would love Tool's newest album if it was still like 1999. I don't know. Well, hold on. I mean, you guys, I mean, you guys, you guys talked about this. I wasn't on the episode, but so for me, like, uh, I, I feel like most people, when you, if you were to ask the most people who are quote unquote tool fans, I think you're really looking at Anima and Lateralis. I don't think people are really like huge fans of 10,000 days. And I'm going to probably go out on a limb and say most people probably aren't a huge fan of Anima or not Anima. What was the record before that? I can't remember the name of that. Undertow. One. 
Undertow. I feel like people probably aren't really a big fan of Undertow and definitely aren't a fan of the first record. Blasphemy. Um, but <laughs> but I'm, saying, like, I'm saying, like, if yeah. you were, if you were no. to go through and, and ask most quote unquote tool fans, the two records they're probably going to identify with the most when you bring that up is Anima and Lateralis. Yeah, but I think I guess I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that this band is so well revered because they knew when it was time to move on. I think if they had continued doing this for an additional 20 years, they would not be remembered as fondly as they are now. Do you feel like maybe they would have kind of this is a weird statement to make. Do you think it would have come back around like Limp Bizkit? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Except I don't think they would have gotten the hate that Limp Bizkit had. No, because I mean, Limp Bizkit, they were a bunch of cornballs. Whereas like, <laughs> whereas like uh, Rage Against the Machine was like dead serious. Right. And I think people would have made fun of him for a little bit for being so dead serious about stuff. Uh, but I think that overall, I think that they would have still had a legacy I just don't know if it would have looked like what it looks like today. This is all theoretical stuff. I mean, you know, this is the fun uh, part. Yeah, we are where we're at. But yeah, I think that like I think I started this off as like a final thought, but um, I had eight final thoughts <laughs> and a bunch of questions. So many questions. Uh, but yeah, I just say in my opinion, this band is super unique in the sense that, you know, they gave you very politically charged messages and we were all fine with it. Um, and they were mainstream when they really had no business being. No. <laughs> so, uh, and I guess that's what I meant about my statement of, I think people in the nineties were a little bit more accepting of musically things that are musically different than necessarily people are now. Um, because you'd hear rage against the machine. Cause like now, so like if, if rage against the machine was a new band in 2021, uh, and I heard them on Spotify I would immediately go out and find 17 other bands that sounded like Rage Against the Machine. And in my own opinion, I would find one that was probably better and super underground that I loved so, so, so much. And then I'd be all like, well, yeah, Rage Against the Machine's cool and all, but they're not as cool as, you know, uh, punch in the face of the automobile or something, you know? And then it would be this whole thing uh, because that's just how cynical fans are now. So I think, again, they were just at the right time and they delivered something that people that people wanted and were willing to accept at a time when people were willing to accept new things, new ideas. Well, John is definitely going to get the final word on Rage Against the Machine. I think they are one of the most solid bands ever. I think these four people get together and create music that is sonically unique to them and is just subtle enough that everyone can enjoy this band. Not everybody's going to be into the message, the standing up for what is right that I can only think System of a Down did the same way they did around the same time. But I'm not listening to Rage Against the Machine because I'm looking for them to innovate further than they already have. They innovated the day they decided to start being a band and record that first album. I've heard that their first few shows live, it was like the same band that you go and see now if they get back together and play. And the reunion shows that they've done, they didn't fuck up. And I don't know that they ever really fucked up. It's interesting to me that when you take Zachary out of the equation and put Chris Cornell in there, you get a band like Audio Slave that sonically sounds like Rage, but not exactly Rage, but it still works. So most of what makes this band great, these musicians playing these songs, they're on the same wavelength, and we all are too, because here we are listening to Rage Against the Machine 
30 years later. John, final thoughts on Rage Against the Machine? I think Rage Against the Machine is one of those bands that if you are into metal, if you're into rock, if you're into alternative music, they're a band that has one of the few Venn diagrams that reaches all of us. They are a band that I think is so so tremendously huge and influential, uh, well beyond the realms of what you may think. Like I, I mentioned earlier, you look at a band like Run the Jewels. I think Run the Jewels is one of the few hip hop groups that has branched over into the rock metal genre of people who like them because they kind of do the same thing. They scratch kind of that itch we don't we no longer have with Rage. I think 30 years later, and like I keep saying, the message is still relevant. It's still important. Is wild. I think to Dan's credit, what he says where they are so overly political and people are accepting of it when people are so divided because of the government, because of so many political topics, but we can all agree on Rage Against Machine, I think speaks to the unique nature of this once in a lifetime band. I'm going to make a very Joe-esque statement here, but I think it speaks to how unique this band is potentially the rage against machine is our beatles they make music for people of all walks of life they're going to be forever influential and at the end of the day they are just an undeniable force of musical creativity damn what's your album of the week i mean it has to be the beatles white album now right (laughs) um no i'm gonna go uh I'm just going to go, you know, with some of my influences, which would just be uh, In Casino Out by At The Drive-In, one of my favorites. Good record. Yeah, it is. John, what about you? Uh, Nothing like this band at all, but mine's I Wrestle the Bear once with It's All Happening. (laughs) Well, okay, then. That's actually a very apt name for that record, (laughs) because it literally is all happening all at once. (laughs) By the way, can I just say I'm really proud of myself that I've not done an Every Time I Die record as my like album of the week so far. It's not a competition, John. I know. I'm just really proud of myself because I've listened to so much Every Time I Die. (laughs) For me, it's Andrew WK. I get wet. Nice. It's the exact opposite of Rage Against the Machine. Was that a beep I heard? Right. Not on this show. What are you talking about? Mm, okay. So I can go ahead and say... Uh, it has it. been a pleasure, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to this show and you've wondered if there was a way you could be more involved in the bands that we pick and the bands that we talk to, you absolutely can be. There's a lot of different ways you can reach out to us. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can find us on Twitter at Discuss Metal, on Instagram at Discuss Metal. You can find us on YouTube at Discuss Metal Dan. You can also find us on Discord. There's going to be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our Discord server. We're fans of the show as well as us, just us in the flesh or, you know, digitally. We're there. People are talking all the time. Great community there. Make sure to join up and come over and say hi. If you want some sweet discography discussion merch, you can get that at our Teespring store. There will be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our Teespring store where we have shirts, hoodies, socks, cell phone cases, all kinds of good stuff. I guess if it's the summertime, you really don't need a hoodie, but you know, winter's going to come eventually. So don't find yourself unprepared. So we've got all kinds of cool stuff coming for you guys. Thank you so much for checking out the show and we will see you next time. And on that note, this has been episode 227 of discography discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. 
Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMental.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. One dollar a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. <laughs> have you ever done an outro to this show? I'm sorry, Dan's Dan's out of commission for the rest of the night. <laughs> uh.